0: Hello, I'm Stephanie Lee, and welcome to the eighth episode of Gabbin with Mavens. It's always been a dream of mine to have a talk show, a weekly forum where I can interview a Maven of his or her field about themselves and their area of expertise so that listeners can hopefully learn a little something along the way. If you haven't already, Please follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Steph N. Lieb for a fun behind-the-scenes look at this podcast and my life. If you or someone that you know would make a good guest Maven, please contact me. Also, be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Gabin with Mavens wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am so excited for you to hear from this week's Maven, Dr. Sari Roth-Romer, an expert on mental health. She will be on with us in just a minute. I am thrilled to introduce you to this week's guest on Gavin with Mavens, Dr. Sari Roth-Romer, a medical psychologist and the director of intuitive psychology, as well as a director of neuropsychology at Encompass Health Rehab Hospital in Scottsdale, Arizona. She is also an adjunct professor at ASU, Arizona State University, in clinical psychology, where she spends a lot of time training clinical psychology doctoral students. A lot of my listeners had sent feedback that they wanted me to do an episode of this podcast on mental health, but it's also one of my favorite topics to talk about, learn about. So I've seen a variety of mental health specialists since I was young, and I have my own diagnoses of mental health disorders, including anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. um, And mental health issues are just so common. Everyone deals with them differently. And so I really want to do my part to normalize this conversation about mental health. And I wanted to start by allowing you to share a little bit about yourself and your background. Absolutely.
1: First of all, I just want to start out by saying I'm so happy to be here doing this podcast with you. It's so much fun for me. And I've really enjoyed our little pre-chat that we had. I just, I love your energy and Thank I'm, you. I'm excited to be here with you and looking forward to our fun conversation. I wanted to start out and tell you a little bit about me. I am one of those rare native Phoenicians. I have lived here my whole life. I was raised by wonderful, adventuresome parents who love to enjoy and live life. And my father is a retired rheumatologist. He's, he's now in his 80s, uh, as is my mother. And the reason I'm telling you this and what was so pivotal about that is he was one of those unusual physicians who, st- who always worked with psychologists. He was able to see that when his patients got stressed, their disease would get worse. And so he realized when he would involve psychologists in patient care, they would do better and they would get better. So I think I knew from an early age that that's something that I was drawn to and wanted to do. My friends would come to me when I was in fifth grade and tell me about their problems. <laughs> I'll get in a taxi cab. People won't know what I do and they'll tell me about what's going they on They can in always their lives. sense it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's just, it's been in me. You know, my parents were both helpers. They passed that on to me. It's something that I enjoy doing. What happened was, I never took a psychology class in high school. They didn't have it, but I went to college. I went to a place called Smith College, a small women's liberal arts college on the East Coast, and I fell in love with psychology right away. And so I majored in psychology there. I thought briefly I might like to go on to medical school, but I took a year off uh, to do some pre med work and I didn't like any of it. So I ended up going and getting a master's in counseling at Harvard, and I loved it there as well. And then when I left Harvard, which was such a fun place to live and and be a student in, I came back home to Arizona State University and got my doctorate in counseling psychology. And this whole time when I was getting my PhD, I was working with my father and really learning more about this mind-body connection, that our brain doesn't just sit on top of our shoulders. It's intricately connected into our whole body, Mm -hmm. right, and all the organs in our body. And so I decided to go get a postdoc in and do a fellowship in behavioral medicine, which is basically medical psychology. And I did that at University of Washington School of Medicine in Seattle,
0: and I loved it there. And what were some of the things that you specifically focused your research on?
1: So that was my brief stint as a pure academic. Well, I was a clinical academic. I would see patients in the hospital, but then what I would do is we would do clinical research. So people would come to one of the places that I worked with Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center. So people would come to get bone marrow transplants. Cancer can be painful. So that's when I started doing pain management research. And I also there learned the value of social support. I did a lot of work in social support. My dissertation when I was in graduate school was looking at social support in women with rheumatoid arthritis, particularly looking at marriage. And I really learned that social support is everything. You know, they joke about how the best medicine is family. It really is. Love is the best medicine. And it doesn't have to come from family. It can come from, you know, the family that you choose as well. So that was really where my research was. It was looking at chronic pain. It was looking at how people coped with devastating chronic illness and looking at social support. I also started my interest in cognitive function at that time. So A lot of times when people get cancer treatment, it affects their thinking. So I started doing some research in that area as well. Interesting. Sometimes people get this weird thing called delirium where people get confused Mm -hmm. after a medical illness and they feel like they're going crazy, only they're not going crazy. So I was really fascinated by that and did some research on delirium as well, because what happens is when you treat the medical issue, all that goes away. It was just your brain out of balance. Right. So that's a little bit about me. One of the favorite things that I've done that I'm really proud of, I was invited to give a TEDx talk in Fountain Hills, and I got to talk about the healing power of compassion. It was so fun for me. It was probably the scariest thing I've ever done because...
0: Public speaking is well, everyone's, one of their top fears. <laughs> I love
1: public speaking, but I'm used to public speaking like this. In where a small I'm setting. Exactly, or where I'm having conversation yep. and there's back and forth. And this is you being taped. You're and on stage. Going out to thousands of people. <laughs> well, you did a great job. but Oh, well, you're so sweet. <laughs> but it was so much fun. And it was what what it did for me is it really highlighted for me how important compassion is in our lives and what a healing power it has. I really, really became a huge compassion advocate after I gave that talk
0: obviously, there's different types of therapy and different types of mental health providers, more modern types of therapy that are becoming popular, are EMDR, animal therapy, etc. And then within mental health providers, there's so many different titles. And what do they mean?
1: So I'll start out with a little bit of a joke. So there was a psychiatrist that I used to refer to who worked in Mason. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And he would tell his patients, yeah, Dr. Rothmer is so smart. She really could have been a psychiatrist. And the first patient who said that to me, I said, that's so kind. I said, would you tell him I feel the same? He's so bright. He could have been a PhD psychologist. <laughs> so that's a question I get asked a lot. What's the difference between psychology and psychiatry? Psychiatrists are medical doctors, mm-hmm. so they go to medical school and they get trained to prescribe medication. Mm-hmm. Occasionally they get trained in therapy, typically they don't. Some psychiatrists will do therapy. Mm-hmm. The psychiatrists who take insurance tend not to do therapy. They prescribe medicine because the insurance company won't pay for them to do both. Typically what happens is a psychiatrist will refer to a counselor for therapy. Not always. Sometimes they'll do it themselves. So there's a bunch of different types of therapists. There's marriage and family therapists you've heard of. They get special training for that. There are master's level social workers Mm -hmm. who do counseling. They get trained in that and have a degree in that. There's licensed professional counselors who get trained in that. Those tend to be one to two year degrees and they get trained specifically in those fields. Mm -hmm. Then there is a PhD level psychologist and those tend to be people who have gone on and done a dissertation okay. and sometimes they will choose to go and do research and sometimes they'll choose to go and do clinical work or they'll choose to do both. There's also a side that's specifically a doctor of Psychology, it's similar to a PhD, but they don't do a dissertation.
0: So how does someone know where they start getting their mental health assessment initially?
1: I often ask them to talk with their physician if they've got a doctor because they may have some good recommendations. You can also ask friends and family if they see someone. So I think referrals are a great Mm -hmm. place to start. But then there's also other places to look as well. I think psychology today does a really good job. The problem with those is it can get overwhelming because there's Mm -hmm. lists and lists of people. So much of it is just personal fit. Right, You've got to go see someone you don't know until you see them. It doesn't mean that it's a good or a bad therapist. It just needs to be a good fit for you. You want to feel safe and comfortable to
0: talk to that person. I think that's a key word is a person that feels safe and the space that feels safe for you. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And that's why recommendations are so important. But also I think that you can remind yourself when you make a first appointment, you're interviewing this person in some ways. You want to see if there's a good fit. So you go with openness and curiosity. Mm -hmm. I wonder what it's going to be like. Mm -hmm. And ask a lot of questions.
0: And there's a little bit of both, right? You're going to have to try the person out to see if you're a good fit anyways. But you can also do a lot of research on maybe the things like you said that they specialize in.
1: Well, and another really good way, believe it or not, go to their website and trust your intuition when you're on that website, pay attention to how you're feeling as you're looking at it.
0: So obviously there there is talk therapy over here, and then there is medication assisted. The researchers are looking at the possible benefits of cannabis, ketamine, LSD, psilocybin, which are magic mushrooms, ayahuasca, MDMA, as possible mental health treatment options. What are your thoughts on that? Well I'm excited. I'm excited that
1: there's so many more alternative treatments that go along with standard medicine. I think just like standard medicine, it's also individual. One of the things that's really cool and you may know about this is they now have genetic testing. So you can do cheek swab or a blood test, typically a cheek swab, and then your doctor can get it back and tell you, "You know what?" if I try this particular medicine, you're unlikely to respond well to it because it doesn't look like you metabolize yes. it genetically. And so we're going to maybe stick to this type of medicine. It doesn't say that that type of medicine will work, right. but it, it gives you a better chance and you don't have to hunt around in the dark
0: as much. That tends to be one of the top complaints of people that have gone to see a psychiatrist is that any medication you try or any treatment that you try you have to try it for a while and you might have to try four different ones. And so things like that have really helped cut down on the time and the process that it takes to figure out what's going to work best for you.
1: Absolutely. You know, here's the thing. Medication can be really, really helpful in the right circumstances. I don't think everybody needs medication, but when you need it, you need it. And sometimes you do hit it right in the first time, which is really wonderful. I'd say probably, I don't know, 40 to 50% of my patients also see a psychiatrist as well. But what's wonderful is that there's other treatments besides medication. And I just recently read a wonderful article, and it talked about how really exercise and changes of diet should be first line before we start with medication, even for some people. I mean, if you've got bipolar disorder, you need medication. If you've got a depression that you've been going to therapy with and you cannot get it managed and you're not able to get yourself to do the behavioral skills, psychological skills and coping skills that you've been working on with your therapist, you may need medication. So those, those are times when you need it. I have been prescribing exercise to my patients for 20 years Mm -hmm. because it makes them feel so much better. It makes me feel so much better. And I'm Mm -hmm. not talking about, you have to be, you know, a marathon runner or bike rider. I'm talking about, walking 20 minutes every
0: day, you know? And within that, I know the outdoor side of things and the sunshine side of things is huge for me, at least.
1: It is. I think exercising, you are so right, exercising outside. And you know what? It's not just because it's enjoyable. It's because you, have you heard about this whole microbiome issue? Have you heard about the gut as the second brain? Mm -hmm. The gut has so many serotonin receptors, just like the brain does. Mm -hmm. And there's something about being outside and, Being in nature and getting those bacteria into your gut that gives you extra benefit.
0: What would you say are the most common mental health disorders?
1: So I think there's a wide range of them. I think depression and anxiety, and there's a full spectrum of depression and anxiety, right? Bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and psychotic symptoms are less common, but they do occur. ADD, ADHD, we are seeing a broader spectrum on the autism. We used to think that people grew out of these things, but they don't. Your brain is your brain. The thing that's good is that the brain is plastic. And what I mean by that, it's not literally plastic, Mm -hmm. but what I mean is it's changeable. We used to think that you were born with all the brain cells that you were going to be born with. And we used to think that if you got brain damage, then you were done with those cells. But now we know that there's a part of the brain called the hippocampus that grows new brain cells. And if you're treating your brain well, exercise, diet, sleep, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot, that you actually grow new brain cells and that when you come into therapy, something called neuroplasticity takes place. Have you heard of that Mm -hmm. term before? And so it's basically rewiring your brain. So the thing that's wonderful is that just because you have these difficulties doesn't mean that they're going to stay the same over time. These are treatable illnesses. Depression, 80% treatment rate. That's huge. There aren't very many medical issues that are 90% treatable. And let me tell you, depression is a medical issue. Mm-hmm. It It has to do with the brain. The brain is the target organ. We used to talk about functional versus biological differences. And the reason I point this out is it's all biological. Your brain is biological. Your brain is part of your body. But it gets so stigmatized because It gets acted out in behaviors. It changes your personality. But the thing is, we are coming into all these new treatment modalities. I think we're going to have more and more genetic targeted treatment modalities that we're going to really be able to change people's brains.
0: What are some of the specific daily practices that people can do outside of their therapist's office?
1: Absolutely. So meditation huge in changing the brain. There's so much research on this. Every single patient who comes into my office gets prescribed exercise and meditation. My favorite is a compassion meditation. It's an ancient meditation and they've done so much research on it. And what's cool is what they found is when you practice this every day, You grow new gray matter in your brain. How cool is that, that your brain literally changes? And what people find is that not only do they feel more compassionate, they're less reactive. They don't react emotionally as quickly. And when they do react, what happens is they catch it more quickly and can turn it around. I believe in it so strongly. I have a YouTube channel. I've got the compassion meditation on the YouTube channel. I ask my patients to practice every day.
0: Within meditation, there's something as small as things you tell yourself. Anxiety is again, something that I suffer from. And I tried literally repeating, I am calm, you know, five to 10 times or whatever throughout the day. And just kind of Assessing how that made me feel differently or did that help me calm down? And it did. Did it. Um, So there's things, you know, from that very low scale to obviously there's entire meditation retreats you can go on and immerse yourself. And there's people that go and study for five years at a a monastery.
1: Do what works for you. And there's so many different ways to go about it. Another simple meditation is the breath. Mm -hmm. The breath is the way in to calming that central nervous system down. It's wonderful that you were able to say to yourself, I am calm, I am calm, I am calm. But if you would have said to yourself, calm down, calm down, calm down, that probably would have worked a little bit less. Mm-hmm. With the I'm calm, you are giving yourself a suggestion right. and a perspective. Maybe try to of, be calm. <laughs> exactly. But when you breathe, you literally switch your brain over from fight or flight to rest and digest. And a simple exercise that I teach a lot of my patients is coherent breathing. And what you do is you breathe in slowly to a count of six through your nose, and then you breathe out again through your nose, counting backwards, slow count of six. So what happens is, what can
0: you be worrying about when you're counting? It would probably make you focus on something else like the counting versus what you were thinking about before. So kind of, distract you from your own thoughts. You'll get to this point where all of a sudden your heart rate and your
1: breath rate are synchronized. That's why it's called coherent breathing and you'll feel calm.
0: You mentioned exercise, meditation. What are some of the other top things that you can do on your own every day.
1: Okay, so you can talk kindly to yourself. Mm -hmm. You can catch yourself and pay attention to when you're going after yourself and saying unkind things and simply label that as unkind. That's unkind. I'm not going to speak to myself that way anymore. Paying attention to how things are affecting you is really important. Happiness is catching. So if you surround yourself with positive, happy people, you are going to have a tendency to be happier and feel more positive. The opposite is true as well. If you surround yourself with depressed people, you are going to be more likely to catch that it's communicable.
0: We were talking obviously about who you surround yourself with and positive people. Not everyone feels like that every day. And so compassion is telling yourself that that waitress might be going through something you don't know about and realizing that and kind of going with that.
1: I love talking about compassion and you are spot on. That is a really good example of compassion. And even further, not wanting to add to that person's difficulty. In fact, wanting to try to help a little bit. So it's really understanding and the basis of compassion is we're all just human, right? We're all just human, and sometimes we don't cope as well as other times, and to be able to have compassion and understanding for that. And when you do that, let's say it's easier to do with a waitress because you don't know that person. Mm-hmm. It's harder to do with a friend or, or a parent or yourself when something annoying happens. And so I, I love that you said yourself because self-compassion is such a huge important thing to We speak to ourselves in ways that we would never speak to people that we care about. It's not helpful. It's Mm -hmm. not kind. It's not helpful in any way. And so that when you catch yourself speaking to yourself unkindly to really label it as that and turn it around and say, you know what, what's something more helpful I can say to myself right now? That's true. And I really think it's so important to allow yourself to be human, to allow yourself to be imperfect because we just are. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we just hold ourselves and others to too high of a standard. So if you can get rid of self-judgment or at least lessen it, Mm -hmm. if you can get rid of judgment of others or at least lessen it, Mm It leads to a happier life,
0: and I know I really relate to the self part within this compassion conversation. I feel like I'm pretty compassionate to others, but like you said, the negative self talk and also being my own worst enemy. And how can I spin that? And how can I how can I change that that conversation to myself and hopefully continue being compassionate to others?
1: Right. And so what you do is you intentionally say to yourself, "I don't want to be my own worst enemy. I want to be my own best friend." And so that's what I'm going to do. Right. I I know how to be compassionate. And I know how to support my friends, which
0: means that I know
1: how to be compassionate and support myself.
0: Being your own worst critic and perfectionistic is something that a lot of people struggle with. Absolutely. And one of the things that patients will say
1: to me a lot is, I am like this. Well, that's just how I am. Well, that's just how I've always been. And I love to give this Deepak Chopra quote, which is, do you want to be a prisoner of your past or a pioneer of your future? And I've never had anyone say that they wanted to be
0: a prisoner of their past. And I think that all relates to, to what you're talking about, about that, that research and all of these things are showing finally, that you can retrain your mind. You can retrain what you tell yourself, what you tell others. And, and that's such a big part of, of the compassion conversation, I think. Right. It is. And
1: I'm fond of telling people you know, you're only as scared as you tell yourself you are. Mm -hmm. You're only as unhappy as you tell yourself you are. And what that gets at is perspective and Mm -hmm. compassion is perspective as well, right? That helps kind of calm you down when you have compassionate Mm -hmm. feelings about someone. It gets you out of being so emotionally reactive and defensive.
0: Now, what would be one comment you would say about, especially in today's day and age and in our environment, Politically, that people are really out there with their views, and you might disagree with them. And so that all comes into are you compassionate for that person and their views and the differences?
1: I think that's such a great point. We are so polarized now. We think what we think and we feel so strongly about it. And the the quick little trick to do on that is to remind yourself that person, they feel as strongly about what they think as I do about what I think. And you don't have to agree, and you may not at all agree in that difference of opinion, but you can realize that you can be respectful that they
0: feel strongly about what they feel about. I love that word respect because whether it's at work or with a stranger or your family, accepting people's differences is is really about respect.
1: It is. And the comment that I make a lot, and I do this in my own family because there's some political differences, is I say, I love you too much to argue about this. Mm -hmm. And so we won't argue about it.
0: So obviously that's a perfect segue into the conversation of boundaries. So do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: I love boundaries. Boundaries are the key to happiness. Just like I think compassion is so healing because we recognize the humanness of another person, boundaries helps us know where I end and you begin. So how do you know that you're having trouble with boundaries? Well, if you are taking responsibility and feel responsible for someone else's emotions, their happiness or their upset, if you expect someone else to be responsible for your own happiness or think that they caused your upset, that's when there's some boundary crossing there because we are all, and I know you know this, we are all responsible for our own feelings, right? And so to be able to remind ourselves, I can talk about whatever I feel comfortable talking about. I can put a limit on what I don't want to talk about because I don't owe anybody any
0: explanations. And we forget that sometimes. So what is some advice for how to set healthy boundaries? Because obviously when you say boundaries, such a broad range of examples and how to set them and what that looks like comes to mind. It can go from blocking their phone number all the way to asking them not to speak to you right now.
1: And so the most important thing is to give yourself permission to do it. Okay. That's why people don't set boundaries. That they don't give themselves permission is to that do fear it. fear related? They, yeah. They feel badly okay. about it. Or guilt. And so, exactly. Or guilty about it. And the thing is, you can be nice and set boundaries. You don't have to be nasty about it. You can say, you know what? I'm not really comfortable talking about that right now. Or that's not something that I, I really wanna go into. And if someone doesn't respect that, then you really want to question that person's role in your life because right. you want to also make sure that you respect when someone says that too, right? You know, I'm too upset to talk about that. Let's put a button in that and we'll come back to this. Mm-hmm. It's not something I am comfortable talking about right now. If someone's really, really pulling at you and trying to get you to do something you don't want to do, that's when you know that you need to set boundaries and that it's okay. And that's maybe where your gut comes in. That's exactly <laughs> right. So listening to that intuition, you know, Fear, depression, anxiety, sadness, anger covers up intuition. So if you can get yourself to take a breath, then you can listen to your gut and know which direction to go in. That's important to really, really listen. And if you're getting some bad feelings, then... You want to be informed by
0: that. And maybe and it's time to
1: set a boundary. That's exactly right. Especially if you're feeling like you're taking advantage
0: of. You know, obviously in today's day and age within boundaries, there's so many communication, digital kind of examples you go through a breakup and some of the first things that people ask you, did you block them on Facebook? Did you block their phone number? You know, different things like that. So what is your advice with, with those types of boundaries?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, especially with breakups that people are having really hard time with. If you're not having a hard time with it, it's not a big deal. Right. But if you're really heartbroken and having a hard time with it, you need to give yourself space to heal. So it is okay to not just block that person, but maybe even get off social media for a little while. Yeah. Take a little, they call it social media holiday. And so get off Instagram, get off Facebook, get off Snapchat right. just for a while. You can go back to it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if you stay on that, there is just this human urge to like peek and look what's going on. And what happens is you're punishing yourself and that's not fair. And telling yourself, you know what? I deserve time to heal. And, and so you just tell yourself, I'm going to fill that space with... Binge watching a funny show, calling my friends, going out with a friend, learning a new language, whatever.
0: And that brings us to our next topic, which is what are some outside literature, television shows, apps, things that people can use on their own outside of their therapist's office to to help them with, with their overall mental health? So I have some favorites. One of my favorites is an
1: app called Wobot. W O E B O T. Okay. And it's a cognitive behavioral therapy app. Cognitive behavioral therapy is looking at how you're talking to yourself and changing your dialogue with yourself. And Wobot is this cute little app that helps you be in dialogue with yourself. It asks you questions, but you're really coming up with the answers. And it really gets you to look at some of your faulty thinking or thinking that's getting in your way. It'll it'll check in with you. It's a very, very helpful way if you're wanting to learn to look at a situation from a new perspective. That's a great one. Happify is another one. It's out of Stanford University, and it It does mindfulness-based and cognitive behavioral suggestions. It's wonderful. It's called H-A-P-P-I-F-Y, Happify. Okay. One of the lead people in it is Dr. Rick Hansen. He wrote a book called Buddha's Brain. It's a fantastic book. It's not about being a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. It's so cool, I think. Yeah, and it's all about mindfulness. Mm -hmm. It's all about paying attention right now. Meditation is part of a mindfulness practice, Mm -hmm. but mindfulness is being aware of the moment that you're in, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic because guess where you have control right now being present. So when you are present and focusing on right now, meditation helps you learn how to do it. It's kind of like going to the brain gym, Mm -hmm. putting your brain where you want to put Mm -hmm. it, when you want to put it. But this book by Dr. Rick Hansen, a neuropsychologist, Buddhist brain, it goes into the science of it in a very matter-of-fact, basic, down-to-earth way. It's a fantastic book. Okay. Another really good book is The Road Less Traveled. It's an old one by Dr. M. Scott Peck. The first line of it is, life is difficult. And it normalizes that life is difficult for everybody. Yes. When you're going through a tough time, you're just going through a tough time. It's a tough time, right? It's It's a bad time, yeah. not a bad life.
0: What about any television shows? or movies or anything recently that you felt really got it right?
1: You know, what's interesting, have you seen Unbelievable? It's a show about a woman and about serial rapists. But what was really good about it is they took such a psychological perspective on it. And there aren't very many good depictions of psychologists out there. This one had a really good depiction of a psychologist who talked about how she was traumatized, not just by the experience, but by how she was treated. And I'm sorry, I wish I knew more about self-help television. No, there are a ton out there and
0: luckily Netflix now lets you search by topic. So (laughs) there's
1: so much good TV Mm -hmm. out there now. There really is.
0: There are, I know a lot of shows that have tackled individual mental health issues like Autism, Aspergers, so many good ADHD. Ones. Have you seen trauma? What have you? Have you seen atypical? I have. Yeah,
1: that was that's a fantastic. They get show. it right, and I, they <laughs> get it right. And I have patients who have kids with Aspergers, and they get it right. It's a
0: wonderful depiction. I yeah. agree. Well, what would you recommend someone to say or do if, no matter what their role is in your life, if someone's going through a mental health crisis right now? What are the steps? I
1: love you. I'm here for you. How can I help? Mm-hmm. I know you're strong enough to tolerate this. Okay. I know it may be difficult. And if you need help, I'm here to help you get the help that you need. Okay. The one thing you don't want to do is take responsibility for fixing that person because it's okay. too big. It's not your role. Your role is to be loving and supportive. And there are professionals who that they can get professional help from.
0: And I probably jump from A to Z, which is the example you just mentioned of, okay, I'm, I'm here. We're going to fix this. So taking it, taking it back a step. And just starting with, I love you. I'm here for you. How can I help?
1: And I have faith in you. That's another thing because people need to know you're strong enough to handle this. You're strong enough to tolerate this. Exactly. So that's so supportive and so Mm -hmm. helpful. It may not fix the problem, but boy, you're getting them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And that is so meaningful.
0: It's encouraging and also letting them know that you're there to listen.
1: Absolutely. When you tell someone I'm worried about you. What's happening is you're telling them, I don't really believe that you can handle this. Okay. Whereas if you tell someone, you know what? I have faith in you. I see that this is difficult for you and you're struggling with this, but I know you can get through this. If you need to get some extra help, we will help. What is a support
0: system and and why is it so important and
1: helpful? So as humans, we're social creatures, right? The soil that we thrive in is social connection. Now we're all different on the degree of social connection that we can tolerate. Some of us are more loners and there's just a very small select few people. And some of us have a gazillion friends. And when we need support, we're going to pick up the phone and give them a call. Wherever you are in that spectrum is just fine. Be who you are. But the worst thing you can do when you're going through a tough time is isolate and push people away. So what I tell my patients who are going through depression, if someone invites you to do something, I want you to say yes. Mm-hmm. I want you to reach out and connect in the way that you can. And if it just is come over for a cup of coffee or I'll meet you at Starbucks, that's all you can handle. Or let's talk on the phone for five minutes. That's mm-hmm. all you, That's fine. But connect however you can. It doesn't have to be the deepest connection, right? You can have someone come over and you can watch a Netflix show and just spend that time together and have that person be there with you. Just someone who makes your life a little bit bigger, expands your life, makes your world not so small, mm-hmm. because when we get confined and feel penned in, that's when we have trouble. And so there's so many ways to do that. If, if you want to find a spiritual community that works for you, if you just want to go hiking out on a trail and be around people and make sure that you smile and say hi to people. There are meetups, mm-hmm. there are hiking groups, you can go on Facebook and find groups of people. And you know, a really simple way to do it is when you're walking around, smile at people. Research that shows people who say hello to people or happier people. It's just a simple way of connecting, but it is a small connection. And if you experiment with that, if you go around and just give, just not like a scary smile to right. people. I do that
0: sometimes. <laughs> but if
1: you give just a little smile to people, it's really interesting how
0: good it feels when someone shares a smile with you
1: and smells back.
0: It totally is. And it comes back to your compassion conversation that you never know what someone's going through yeah. for that day and what, what a smile can mean to them. We
1: all need to feel noticed and connected
0: Okay, last topic, and then we'll kind of wrap up here. What are some tips for for communication within sexuality and intimacy in a relationship?
1: Only share as much as you're comfortable with. That's a boundary, and that's an important boundary. You know... One of the things that us humans have a hard time with is vulnerability. I don't know if you've heard of Brene Brown before, B-R-E-N-E, Brown, spelled like Brown. She's got a couple of TED Talks and a gazillion books now. Her TED Talk just took off and she talks about vulnerability as something that you can open and close at will in order to have relationships with people you have to have some vulnerability but you don't have to be wide open and vulnerable Mm -hmm. all the time when you're building trust in a relationship it's okay if someone asks you for example how many sexual partners have you had to be able to say you know what I don't even think that's important for us to talk about right now. I'd really just like to focus on, on getting to know you, Mm -hmm. you
0: know, or not even
1: to say that, just switch the topic. Right. If you're not comfortable,
0: don't go there. Okay. No, that's great advice. And then within relationships, whether it's your support system or what have you, how do you avoid codependency? Back to boundaries.
1: So, if you are finding that you are taking too much responsibility for another person, if you are not taking enough time for yourself, you need to put a boundary up. With yourself, telling yourself, it's too much. I am getting in this person's business and I'm trying to live their life. And I I can't possibly live their life because it's not my life to live. And just having that awareness, I think. Absolutely. Although, you know, I'm talking like an expert about this, but I'm a mother of a 21-year-old son
0: and he will tell you I'm not always so good at this. Everyone takes from their family of origin and, and what they learned growing up and what that looks like and does their best as their own parent. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yeah, right? Have it, another kid. Exa- oh, <laughs> try that's, with hilarious. Them. that's funny.
1: <laughs> but, but the truth is, seriously, if you mess up, own it. Oh, darn it. I messed up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
0: I'm I'm working on this. I'm I'm a work in progress. Absolutely. So we're going to end strong and positive. And I wanted to see if you could just share one or more examples of someone that's benefited from your advice, your work and, and your career. Of course.
1: So. I love what I do. I'm one of those people who I'm lucky. You can tell I like talking to people. So I love it. You're in the right field. I had a young man come in the other day and he talked with me. He now has a job that he loves, a girlfriend, and he's getting ready to move out of his parents' house and he's in his late 20s. When he first came to me... He hated his job. He didn't feel that he was good at anything. He would get bouts of anxiety and depression. He also has ADHD. Sometimes he would get so overwhelmed, he would stay in his room for hours and not leave. He would push people away. He he did not feel lovable. And he said to me just the other day, I can't believe where I am in my life right now. And I said to him, well, how did you get there? He goes, well, you helped me. And I said, well... I go, maybe I go, but you did this work, right? That's what he did. He was vigilant about the self-talk. He
0: was vigilant about the
1: compassion meditation. And
0: even journaling too, can be a big thing. For Absolutely people, right?
1: positive journaling. Mm-hmm. You've got to focus on the positives. You've got to look around at the good in your life. And with all my patients, I'm working on hope, hope that there can be change. Hope that their symptoms can go away and that they're capable of doing it, that they're capable of working through the discomfort that they're feeling. I always tell my patients, focus where you want to go, paddle where you want to go, look ahead, look at where you want to go. Because if you're looking at your fears, that's where you're going to go. Focus in your mind's eye where you want to go and tell yourself, I'm not sure how I'm going to get there, Mm -hmm. but I'm aiming at that. You may not get to that exact mm-hmm. spot, but you're probably going to get in the vicinity. Well, I got asked once when I was teaching a class of teenagers how many of your patients get better. And what I said to them was, any of my patients who want to get better, who truly want to get better and are willing to do the work, will get better. 100% mm-hmm. of my patients who want to get better. Now, there are patients who don't want to get better. People who they're suffering and they, they don't know how to get out of the suffering and they're not ready to get out of the suffering and they don't have hope that they can get out of the suffering. And sometimes they get in their own ways as human beings get in our own way sometimes. And
0: would you say that's related to, you know, honesty and awareness and kind of for, for yourself and your situation? It does.
1: I think what happens is it has to do with overwhelm and it has to do with how they feel about themselves. So where I'm always starting with people is getting them to trust themselves, to like themselves, to look at the good in themselves. If they can't, That's where I'm going to start is really getting them to focus on their strengths and capabilities. Because if you don't have that, if you don't have hope, you can't move forward and get better.
0: That's self-love and self-care is kind of number one. It is. Well, lastly, how can people contact you and find out more about you?
1: As you can tell, I love talking to people. There are a lot of different ways to get in touch with me. Like I mentioned before, you can go to my Facebook page to see who I am. It's just Intuitive Psychology PLC. You can go to my website, which is www.intuitivepsychologyplc.com. My TED Talk is on that page and my blog is, is on that website. And then my office phone number is 480 261 4061. Oh, and my youtube channel which has some videos with guided meditations that people like on compassion pain management simple mindfulness meditations all of them are brief well, you Under have a minutes. very
0: calming voice i'm sure that yes, they, they can be very helpful i'm thank sure thank you well thank you all so much for listening thank you so much for coming on the show and be sure to subscribe to Gavin with mavens wherever it is that you listen to your podcast i will see you all next week